0: This is the third week in our Welcome Table series, looking at hospitality as a core element of what it means to be human in God's vision. Uh, Each week, the sermon follows the progression of a meal that's shared. So we've looked at the greeting of guests. Last week, we looked at place settings, table settings. Today, we look at the menu. But for those of you who, like, really get into my sermon titles, the menu is actually about a harvest today. So the sermon is actually about uh, what we need to feel secure. Okay, so don't get caught up that there was no menu actually described in the sermon. Uh, This parable that Jesus tells today, it's not unique to him. Uh, This is a parable that's told in various forms in a variety of religious traditions and philosophical uh, schools. This parable of someone who pursues gain and wealth as the primary goal of their life, only to discover that acquiring and adding wealth and possessions turns out not to deliver as much as they were promised not only moves through different cultures and philosophies, but it even comes through time. There are plenty of examples of this parable in our own time. Um, The richest man in the world decides he hasn't acquired enough, and so he acquires a social media platform and causes a great stir in the cosmos when he changes the logo from a bird to an X. Or another tycoon who's redeveloped the entire economy by making every possible consumable object available with the click of a button and next day with prime delivery. His influence is still not enough, so he buys a national newspaper, The Washington Post. Maybe you followed this week uh, the reports of New Jersey Senator Menendez and the alleged bribes that he took from foreign governments in order to have certain political influence or to sway him on votes in the Congress. You've probably watched or read about the auto worker strike, the Hollywood strike, the government shutdown threats swirling around. All around us, there's these conversations about who's making enough, who's making too much, who has the most, who has nothing, what's my labor and what it's worth. Like a fish that doesn't realize it swims in water, we don't even recognize that this is the environment that we're in all the time. And it's easy to judge those, especially those with elite levels of wealth and affluence and power, and say, I would never be like that if it was me. But we live in America. The diet of every day, the menu of every meal, is you are what you buy, own, possess, attain, acquire, or can afford to experience. You are your house, your car, your hobbies, your vacations. To be human in America is to be defined by what we've got, who's got less, and what I need to do to get more. Everybody can join in together with Tevya from Fiddler on the Roof and sing, if I were a rich man. They did that at the early service too. That was funny. Um, but this story isn't just unique to America. As we said, Jesus tells it. He wasn't an American. Don't forget that. Um, and uh, he uh, told this story a long time ago, and he wasn't even the first one to tell it. So this seems to go through many different cultural expressions. And Jesus tells his particular version in the moment of... a. a, a a debate about the spreading of a family inheritance. Now, obviously, the guy who calls out to Jesus from the crowd in this story has not been listening to Jesus. Jesus has told people to leave their houses, to abandon their families and follow him. He's told people to sell all their possessions. Uh, he's advocated for the care of the absolutely poorest in society. Jesus is not the person to go to if you are working out your estate planning. Um, He has ideas of what to do with the inheritance. But I can tell you, it's not going to be to divide it evenly among all the children. So Jesus tells this parable about a man whose fields yield abundantly. And by the standards of the law or by his religion, we have no knowledge that this man is doing anything wrong. He might tithe 10% of his harvest at the synagogue. Uh, he, He might leave the edges of his field uncollected, so that the poor could come and glean for themselves as the Torah prescribes. He owns the land. He owns the produce. He has the right to do with it what he wants. If he wants to store up the extra amount so that he can then sell it in the off-season for a higher price, that's just the sign of a shrewd businessman. He's probably on the board of the Chamber of Commerce. He's probably been named Citizen of the Year by the county. And when he tears down his barns, and he builds bigger ones, we don't read that he refuses to pay union wages to the construction crew that comes. He might even put a green roof on top to show that he's committed to the environment. He has the right to do this. Once he's finished, he even quotes the Bible. He says, now that I'm done, I can eat, drink, and be merry. That's from Ecclesiastes. But that very night, he dies. And God judges him harshly, calling him a fool. And now what happens to all that grain you've got stored up in your brand new barn? The call is obviously to be the opposite of this guy. But good golly if that isn't hard in our own day and time. Honestly, the only way not to become this man is to give our money and our possessions away. Every year, we ask you all to consider your annual financial pledge to the church, and there's an element that feels like a fundraising campaign to that, but it's actually something much deeper. It's actually much more core and central to what it means as a disciple. It's a soul tending activity. Because when we guard our money and our possessions, our lives shrivel. We shrink into ourselves. And we see it over and over again, and yet we still struggle to trust it. The family with large amounts of wealth, they can't even get together for a holiday meal because the love between them has all evaporated over the fights, over the estates. The institution with the large endowment, crumbles, fractures, fissures, because there's arguments about what to do with the money, how to invest it, how to spend it. The primary mission of the institution begins to fail. And yet we see it and we think, but if I had those resources, if I was in charge, then I know I would be able to do it Differently. But pay attention to what this man says in our parable today, how much we can trust in ourselves. He says, And he thought to himself, What should I do? I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And lastly, he says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, He's always talking to himself. He's entirely wrapped up in his own self and his projects. Because he gives nothing away, he has no identity outside of himself. So all he can think of is that he can tend to his own soul and that he will eat, drink, and be merry by himself. He's not a human in God's eye. He's a fool. Perhaps growing wealth as the goal of life turns us fully into an I with no capacity for a you or a them. It just leaves us empty. In the year 2022, um, Americans nationally gave away 1.7% of their disposable income. Uh, That means that if you make $50,000 a year, uh, maybe you take home $35,000 after taxes or so, that means you'd give away about $600. Double that for somebody who makes $100,000 a year. At the same time, between the years 2020 and 2022, the number of storage units that people bought to keep all the stuff that won't even fit in their house grew by 970,000 units. Fourteen and a half million Americans rent a storage unit to keep stuff in that won't fit within the walls of their own home. That's a lot of trying to take care of our own souls going on out there. But on this day, on this Worldwide Communion Sunday, we have a gift We have a gift that can pull us out of our position with the rich fool and in our own context of these waters of America where we live. And we can learn and see from other cultures where there is mutual support, where there is self-giving love that's practiced in ways that perhaps we struggle to even imagine with our own limited vision. We also see stories of terrible economic injustice and corruption We hear of disasters of flood and famines and earthquakes. And as we're changed by this encounter with those who live outside of ourselves, we come to see our own position within our own communities differently too. And then when we start to give in response those observations, they become commitments. The only way to stop fighting for status, to stop renting more storage units, to stop trying to coax and coach our own souls, is to give. To give away for the sake of others. You can't build the welcome table if you're the only one there who sits down to eat. So I'm asking you to be prayerful and thoughtful to see how your giving to the church might actually be a way to find the freedom that God intends for us. For you know that in this giving, hungry children are fed and other children are tutored and taught. In your giving, you know that the soul of a child is being formed in the vision of God and the soul of a teenager might encounter the story of grace in their own life. In our giving, we know that when death comes, lives can be surrounded with love and concern. And when joy abounds, there are others with whom we can share in the celebration. Our giving makes this story of God real. It takes it from a story to an embodied community, both within our fellowship, and then it makes our fellowship a witness beyond ourselves. Our calling, our giving manifests the welcome table in a culture that so desperately longs to be freed from the consumer God who reigns over us. We know this because we trust Jesus is God. And that only a fool, then, would think that they could eat, drink, and be merry all by themselves. And the way that we create this community in which we delight, the way that we fashion this community of grace, it is to give. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.